Now, I was back in Bible college in the 70s, and um, I came home one weekend, Deborah and I, and we didn't get home often because we were in a living in Florida, so we did get home, and uh, some friends of mine, uh, guys that I played ball with in high school and stuff, they wanted to get together and just uh, touch base with each other. We hadn't seen each other in five or six years, so at that time we met over at a friend's house, and I knew all of these guys. I'd gone to grade school with them, junior high school, high school, all, the, all, of, all of our lives we'd been together. And one of my friends, a dear friend that I had spent a lot of time with, um, came up to me and he said, I don't want you to do any preaching at me tonight. Now, I didn't take it as though he was trying to be funny. I think he was serious. But it, it struck me kind of odd. And it hurt my feelings, and I was a little bit angry. And I began to think about that. You know, here was a friend that I'd had for all of these years, and he's telling me I don't want to hear any of that preaching because they all knew that I was in Bible college. Now, that hurt because I didn't want to be rejected, especially by this group of guys. And I did not want to be the odd man out. Everybody, I think, wants to be liked, and I did too. I think everybody wants to be liked. Nobody, even if you don't care about the person's opinion, if you don't know them very well, you don't want to hear that so-and-so doesn't like you or that uh, they don't want you around or something like that. Everybody wants to be wanted wants to be liked. But it's that need to fit in that sometimes becomes an obstacle to our walk with the Lord because that need to fit in, that need to be liked, that need to be accepted causes us sometimes to make decisions and do things that aren't something that God would be honored by. And we do foolish things and we compromise our testimony, we compromise our life. We will enter into a a lifestyle of choices that we know is wrong, but yet we do it anyway because we know that by doing it we're going to gain somebody's approval that we respect and like and a friend of ours and so forth. So we do things that probably as a Christian, you know, we shouldn't be doing, but we'll do it anyway. Or we'll just be silent. And we'll never let anybody know that we're a believer because we don't want anybody to reject us. We want to be liked and approved and accepted and so forth. And so we do things like that because of that compelling urge to just be accepted and to fit in. And we have all experienced it. We've all seen it in our own lives. We can go back and we can be, if we're honest with each other, we can look at times in our life where we've done that. And there may even be times right now where you're you're compromising in some way just to fit in. We see it in our children, too. Uh, Our children who are in school, they struggle with this all the time, just fitting in. Sometimes that's difficult. And when you put on top of that their face, you know, their walk with the Lord, it just really makes life impossible, you know, in their minds because how am I going to do this and be accepted and fit in to, the, to everybody around me? So no matter what age you are, we all struggle with it. Now today what I want to do is this. I want to show you a passage of Scripture where Jesus is addressing that issue with his disciples. And as we go through the, this passage and look at it and pick it apart... I want to, toward the end of this, to give you something or share some ideas with you that hopefully will help you if you're struggling with that or if your your children are struggling with it. So I want to jump in and look at this text that we're going to be looking at. This is a time where Jesus is just talking to his disciples, which he did quite often. 
But we're in Luke, I'm sorry, in John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 27. Now, I'm going to do something I don't always do, is to read it ahead of time. I always kind of work through it. But I want to read this one ahead of time. And we'll just read you through it, okay? And um, then we'll pick it apart as we, as we go through it. But let me start with verse 17. It says, you know, remember, he's talking to his disciples. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I, what I told you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in the law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, there's the passage. Let's kind of pick it apart as we go through this. The term or the word world is used in here five times. What does he mean by that? He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me too. What is he talking about? Well, he's primarily talking about the unbelievers. He's, he's drawing a contrast here between the believers, which he was basically addressing the twelve here, and he's saying, and then the world, the unbelievers, and they're always going to hate you. Now, that carries with it their... Uh, ideas about right and wrong. In other words, it's not just the people, but it is the philosophy of the people as well. It would be their values. It would be their philosophy of life, their lifestyle, what's important to them, what's right and wrong to them. All of that goes into this category called the world, the unbeliever and the way they think and live. Now, I want to ask you three questions and answer them. So here's the first question that we're going to deal with, and that is this. Why does the world hate you? Why does the world hate you? Why, did the, why does the unbelieving world hate you? And guys, this is important, more so than ever before, because all you've got to do is look at what's happening in our world and you see that Christianity is under attack like never before. And it is, it is hatred for the most part. But why? Why does the unbelieving world hate you? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Number one, because you're different. Because you're different. Read this verse with me, or follow along with me, in verse 19 of this passage. We're only looking at verses out of this passage here. He says, If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. 
This is why the world hates you. You don't belong there anymore. I have saved you, I've placed my spirit in you, and I've called you out from among them to live a separate life and to be different. And because you're different, it's a threat to them. You know, this is just human nature. People tend to not like things that are different from them, things that are different from what they've been raised or are used to or so forth. They, they don't like that. That's a threat to them. And so you pose a threat to other people in the world. How so? Well, your values are different. Your values and what you think is important, what you value in life is different. Your purpose is different. You, as a Christian, have an eternal view, whereas people who aren't have a worldly view. So your purpose is different. Your morals are different. You know right and wrong. You know what the Bible teaches. You know what you should and shouldn't be doing. And yet the world is just headstrong, heading into every kind of debauchery that you can think of. And your lifestyle is different. Everything about you is different. Now, I'm not saying that you always have it together, that you always do the right thing. Uh, You know, we know that. We don't do that. But yet we're still different. When the Spirit of God comes inside of a person at, at the moment of belief, as the Bible tells us, you are indwelt by the Spirit, then when that Spirit takes over in our lives, it changes us. From the inside out, we're being changed ever so slowly. But we're being changed. And the world can see it, whereas you and I may not see it. It may not be that obvious to us because it doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens over a period of time. But nonetheless, the world sees it. Your old friends see it. The people that you grew up with, the people that you admire, the people that you consider close friends, the people that you want to be accepted by, they see it. And you know what? You don't have to interact with them for them to see it in you. All you have to do is exist. All you have to do is exist, and they can spot you because you're different. And it's this difference that Jesus is telling the disciples because of what I am doing in you and what I am creating in you, you will not be loved by the world. You will be, you will be hated because you are, you're posing a threat to them. Everything that they stand for, everything that is valuable and important to them, you threaten it just by your existence. But now there's another reason why they're going to hate you, and that is this. Because you make them feel guilty. You make them feel guilty. Now, I'm not talking about the things that you say. I'm not talking about you pointing out their sin. I'm just talking about you make them feel guilty just by who you are. Look at this verse. It's in chapter 15 here, verse 22. He says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. I know, what does that mean? I mean, is he saying that there, there it would be no guilt, nobody would be held accountable for sin if he hadn't come? Well, no, that's not what he's saying because we know that because of the law alone, the law proved them to be guilty. And this is what James keeps saying. According to the law, you are guilty. You're condemned. But what he is saying is this, that if Jesus is saying, if I had not come, 
then they would not feel guilty. They wouldn't be guilty. They wouldn't feel it. They wouldn't realize it. Remember when Jesus came and he preached the Sermon on the Mount? And he said, okay, you've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery, but now I'm telling you that if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Oh, you know, he took it to a different level. You've heard that you shouldn't commit murder, but if you hate somebody, he said, you've already killed them in your heart. So he took it to a different level. What he's saying is this. When I came on the scene and began to preach, they sensed their need. They sensed their failure. They sensed their guilt. And when they see you living this life that you're living, and they see the Spirit of God working in you, they're convicted. You see, you messed up the curve, so to speak. You know what a curve is? You've all gone through school. A curve is when you take a test and the highest grade in the class was an 80. Nobody made a good score. So the teacher brings down the standard. An 80 is now an A. And then on down the line, you could make a 60 and still pass. Because that's the curve now. You'd be amazed at how people think. They think in their in their in their minds, they say to themselves, you know what, I am no worse off than those people over there, and because we are all in the same boat and nobody can do it right, then God can't judge us. How can he, how can he judge all of us? But then you come along, and you're putting forth an effort to walk with the Lord, and they see the joy of the Lord in your, in your smile and in your lifestyle and in your heart. They see the things that you do. And they see the transformation that's taking place. And because of that, they have no excuse now. They can't say, well, I'm, I'm as good as that guy or I'm better than that guy. They can't do that any longer. And so now just you being there causes them to feel guilt like they've never felt before. See, this was the big thing with Jesus and his preaching. Jesus, when he spoke, he pierced their hearts, and the Pharisees were enraged because he was basically condemning them. And he made them feel guilty. And they didn't like it. This is why they were so hostile toward him. Now, isn't it amazing? How there, if you were to, to line up different religions and you were to put the Muslims out here and uh, some mystical religion out here, some cult out here in Christianity, that they will accept all of the others and reject Christianity? Have you ever seen anything like what's happened in the United States with the embracing of the Muslim religion? People don't understand how hostile it is. They don't understand it, but yet they embrace it. And yet they will vehemently attack Christianity. Why? Because of this. You see, Christianity makes a difference in their lives. It makes them feel different. The Spirit of God takes it, the Word of God, and He applies it to their heart. And man, He does His work, and they don't like it. Because nobody wants to feel guilty. Whenever you are around, you make them feel guilty. So, yeah, why do they hate you? They hate you because you're different and because of the way you live and the things you say and 
the, the work of God in your heart. They can see it, and you make them feel guilty. Now, here's the second question. How can you get the world to love you and accept you? If that's what you would want, and, and here, here's the reason I'm saying this, because sometimes by the way we live, we live in such a way that says we want that. So let's stop and realize what it will cost us, what we're really looking at here, to have the world love you and accept you. Okay? Verse 19, it says this, If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. If you belong to them, in other words, if you come over here and start acting like them and become part of the group here, not that you're an unbeliever, but you're acting like it, then they'll love you. They'll accept you. They'll be friends with you. But what will it cost me? Well, listen. To be friends with the world would mean that you'd have to go against the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is working in you and moving in your heart and leading you, you're going to have to deny it and walk away from it each and every day because the Spirit of God won't give up on you. So you're going to have to give up on it or Him. You're going to have to hide the fact that you're a Christian. So no more wearing the cross, no more talking about Jesus, no more talking about church. If you want the world to love you, that's what it's going to cost you. If you want the world to accept you, you're going to have to call evil good and call good evil because that's what's happening in this world right now. Everything that is evil as we know it is being looked at and accepted and embraced as good. And it seems like more and more every day the things that are evil or good, I should say, are being put down and looked at as being foolishness. But that's what you're going to have to do if you want the world to love you. You're going to have to compromise your morals. Maybe that's something you never considered, but you're going to have to if you want the world to love you. More than any other time in history, morality is something that is just whatever you want it to be. And you're going to have to live that way if you want them to accept you. And this is the most important you are going to have to stop being so dogmatic. That means that you're going to have to stop saying or even thinking that the truth is in this book right here, the Word of God. And you're going to have to stop saying or even believing that Jesus is the only way. Because you have to be kind to people. You have to be accepting of other people's beliefs. Therefore, you have to believe and say that other people's ways to God are just as viable as yours. But yet, the Scripture doesn't say that, does it? And whenever we take a stand on that, in love, always in love, but yet standing on the truth, you're looked at as some sort of a bigot or a racist or this or that, whatever term they want to put on you. And so the assault on Christianity continues. But if you want to be that kind of a person, this is what you're going to have to do. Now let me just say this. There are a lot of believers in this world that want that. There are a lot of people who at one point in their life have come to Christ and put their faith in Christ and have lived for Him. 
and yet something happens over time. They migrate back to old friends and old acquaintances, and that becomes more important to them than this new life in Christ. They don't, I, we don't believe that you lose your salvation. I don't think the, te- the Scriptures teach that. But we can become so entangled in the affairs of this world that we lose our testimony, we lose our joy, we lose the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes that's what happens when we as Christians want to be friends with the world and their way of thinking. Now, guys, let me, let me just say this, okay? I am not in any way implying or teaching that you and I as Christians have the right to be hostile or mean or unloving to the unbelieving world. We are to love them. We just cannot love the way they live. It's hard sometimes because they take it as an assault against them and you and I have to make it plain and clear. Guys, I, you know, whoever it is, I love you. Whoever you are, I love you. But I cannot accept and I won't live like that. And that's hard to do. But you and I have to do it because God calls us to love them anyway. So what do you do? Here's the third question. What do you do? Number one, don't try to fit in. It's just that simple. Don't try to fit in. You've got to be okay with being different. You've got to be okay with being on the outside looking in sometimes to old friends that you've had before, even family. You've got to be okay with that. You've got to make a decision how you're going to live or how you should live and then do it. And that's going to take courage. It really will. We all want everybody to love us, but we've got to come to the realization that when we look at Scripture, when Jesus says, you come and follow me, it's not going to always happen. You've got to be willing to lose friends or family if that's what they want. It's not what you want. It shouldn't be. But if that's what they want, then so be it. But again, you show love. You love people but hate sin. You love people but make a decision what is your value system and how you're going to live and then live it and don't let anybody deter you from that. Now, I'm just telling you up front, you will lose friends. You will lose family. But this is the right thing to do. Either that or you're going to compromise everything you believe in. What should I do? Here's number two. You need to expect to be hated. You need to expect it. I don't know what it is about us as believers, why we're so surprised by the fact that the unbelieving world rejects us, why our old friends don't want us around anymore. It's like we can't figure this out. And yet he's telling you right here, Expect it. It's going to happen. Look in verse 20. Jesus says, Remember what I told you? A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, then they will obey yours also. They did it to me. Why why do you think they wouldn't do it to you? 
But yet we naively go through life thinking that everybody's going to love us, and they don't, and we don't understand why. So you need to be convinced at least um, to expect to be treated this way. Now please, I'll say this over and over again. Don't, don't let people reject you because you're just flat obnoxious. You know, there are just too many Christians that are just obnoxious. You've got to be wise and loving. But there will be people that just don't want it, and you've got to be okay with that. You've got to expect it. Here's the third one. The third thing that you can do is this. You need to find your acceptance among other believers. This is where your acceptance comes from. This is where your circle of friends should come from. Either in your local church that you attend or in communities of other churches or or, or congregations where you have friends, wherever it may be. These are the people that you surround yourself with. This is your family. These are the ones that you find your, your need for companionship and love. This is where it comes from. This is why the church is so important. Look at this verse. He, this is a, the, right here in the context of this whole discussion on being hated. He says this in verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. And then he talks about being hated and being persecuted. Why does he start with that? Because it's the key to everything. You and I have a need to be accepted, but within the realm of Christianity, not outside of that. This is where we find friendships and relationships and companionship and fellowship and community. All of that comes from within the body of Christ, not outside. Again, I'm not saying you can't hang around. I'm I'm just saying that's not going to be where you are accepted. You need to understand that. The importance of church and the importance of being involved in it. I'm not talking about just ministering. I'm talking about being involved in the lives of the people within the church that you attend. Or Christians, Christians out of other churches. That, you know, I'm just talking about the body of Christ. But so often, What happens, and I've seen this after years of ministry, I see this, people come into a church, sit in the back, and they're out the door as fast as they can. And all they want is to be given a sermon and sing some hymns, and they don't want to be involved. They don't want fellowship. They don't want to talk to anybody. For whatever reason, they don't want the hassle. And it usually isn't too long before they've fallen by the wayside and they've wandered off into the world because the world gives them what they really want. They just don't realize they can get it here. It's a shame because this is where they should be coming for it. And that means also that you and I need to see the importance of that and make sure that we give it, you see. So what do I do? Here's number four. Be the light God intends for you to be. You be the light God intends for you to be regardless. And this is where you're going to have to use wisdom and the the leading of the Spirit to know how to deal with people. 
but you be the light. Don't be obnoxious, okay? But be the light. There's a difference. You can witness, you can testify, you can love people without being obnoxious. Look at verse 27. He says, And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. After all of this, talking about being hated, he ends this thing up with this statement. He said, And you've got to be a witness. In spite of all that, you've got to be a witness. You've been with me from the beginning. You know what you need to do. Now you need to do it. For each one of us, under the leadership of God's Spirit, we need to determine in every given relationship that we have with an unbelieving person, be it at work or school or family members, whatever, Lord, how do I reach that person in love without repelling them? How do I make them understand that I care about them in spite of their sin? You and I need to be doing that. Each one of us. The world is going to change. Now listen to this. If the world around you and me is going to change, the only thing that is going to change them is the Spirit of God. That's the only thing. Therefore, the gospel of Christ becomes your greatest weapon or tool, we'll call it. If I'm going to be called by God to, in love, reach this lost world around me without becoming part of it, the way that I do it is to give them the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace, and allow the Spirit of God to change them. Because you can't. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, stop harping at unbelievers about the sin in their life. They're unbelievers. What do you expect of them? To act like unbelievers. You're, you're messing with the, the um, symptoms and not going to the heart of the issue. The only way that person is ever going to change is if God changes them. You can't. And a lot of times we approach it that way that we can do it. I'm going to change them. I'm going to tell them all the things they're doing wrong. And this is what I meant by being obnoxious. I've got to love this person, but not the sin. And I cannot put them together because they're going to feel rejected. Or else I'm going to be compromising. So there may come a time where you have to tell them that. Tell them that in the gospel. God loves you. Right here, right now, just the way you are, God still loves you. But God doesn't love what's in your life. God doesn't love that sin. He loves you. And you need to understand that. It's the gospel, my friend, that is going to change them. So what do you do? Here they are. You don't try to fit in. You expect to be hated. You find acceptance within the body of Christ among other, other believers, and you be the light that God intended you to be. I believe with all my heart that if you and I can master that, if we can begin to see this that way and begin to understand that it's okay to be different, it's okay not to be loved, it's okay to even be hated, you need to expect it. But yet at the same time to be able to love my enemy, to be able to love the person that persecutes me, to be able to pray for that person, and to be able to share Christ with that person, 
then guys, you are light years ahead of, of a lot of other people in this world if we can just do that. But it's going to take effort. It's going to take commitment on our part. And we've got to get past this idea that we need for everybody to like us. It just won't happen. If you're here this morning and you're in this boat, you're in this group of unbelievers that I'm talking about, you're not quite sure about what it takes to get to heaven or how you're going to be saved or how you're going to be forgiven, let me read you this verse. It'll come up on the screen here in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Now watch this verse. He, talking about Jesus, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me pick it apart for just a minute, okay? You may all be believers in here, and there may not be an unbeliever in here. Well, take this and use it, okay? Take this and share it with somebody else. God saved you. Why? Well, it's not because of righteous things you've done. What does that mean? Well, it's not because you go to church. It's not because you don't commit adultery. It's not because you don't murder somebody. It's not because of any righteous things you did. Do you understand what that's saying? That you can never save yourself. How many times in a person's life do they look at themselves and they think, boy, I'm not as bad as that person. I've got a lot of good things and not a lot of bad things. God's going to save me. God's going to forgive me. And God's going to let me come to heaven. God says no. Because you're not being saved by the righteous things in your life. How am I being saved? By faith. You're never good enough. You never will be until I declare you to be so. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the sacrifice, the one who went to the cross for you, God declares you to be good enough. Not because of yourself, but because of him. See, this is the gospel. This is the gospel of grace. And God forgives you. From birth to death, you're forgiven. He says you're not saved or because of righteous things that you've done, but because of his mercy. God just in mercy and grace did it. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Here's what happened. You know, Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and he said, okay, tell me what I have to do to be saved. He said, you've got to be born again. Well, what do you mean? He said, how can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? He said, no, 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 Nicodemus. I'm not talking about being physically born. I'm talking about a new birth, a spiritual new birth, that God creates something brand new in you by faith. So how are you saved? You're saved by God reaching down and into your heart and click, changing. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. He said, by the renewal of the new, or uh, through the washing of the rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes into you and the renewing takes place. It's like all of a sudden life begins. Because like I said before, no change takes place unless the Spirit of God does it. No change. Spirit of God does it. 
So I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what your addiction is. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what lifestyle you're living. Only God can change you. I can't, nor can anybody else. But God will. God will if you let him. He'll enter into your life and turn it upside down and give you the joy and the peace and the love that you've never had before but you do so desperately want. He'll give it to you. But it begins with a step of faith that you understand that Jesus died on a cross. He's the sacrifice. He took your sin, your penalty, your shame. He took it all. And he says to you, I'll give you salvation as a gift. You either come to him and accept it as a gift or you just don't get it. He won't let you have it. Because anything more than that makes it by works. And God said, I won't give it to you. Will you trust him? Will you put your faith in him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're still struggling, why don't you just take a step of faith this morning? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe that he took all of your sin upon himself? From the time you're born to the time you die, he paid for it all, not just part of it. Do you believe it? Then right here where you sit, just tell him. Kind of put a stake in the ground, if you will, and say, this is the day. This is the day that I declare my faith. And right there in the quietness of your heart, just between you and God, you just tell him, Lord, I am a sinner. But I believe you died for me. And I trust you. I accept it. You are my Savior. It's not me, it's you. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. That's the, that's the promise of the Word of God. It's not me. The question is, will you believe it? That's what it boils down to. Now, we don't have people come forward here at the church. I don't think that's a necessarily a good idea. It's a decision you need to make between you and God. I would love to talk with you, help you with any questions you have. But right here in the quietness of your own heart, you're turning to God and you're putting your faith in Him. I just want to know if I've made it clear enough for you to understand. And if today you're trusting Him. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up and say, Pastor, right now I'm putting my faith in Christ. Anyone at all. You can pray for me because right now I'm putting my trust in Him. I'm accepting it. I'm believing it. Anyone at all. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we all want to be accepted. We just go about it the wrong way. We usually look to people that we've known in the past or people that we look up to now for whatever reason and we think we want to be accepted by them. And Lord, we ought to be looking to be accepted by you. That you would approve our lifestyle. That you would say, well done. 
Father, may we not ever compromise. May we not ever give in in any way just so that we'll be loved by people. But Father, at the same time, help us to love people that are still lost. Help us to care about them. Help us not to be obnoxious and judgmental, but just to reach out with the gospel of Christ and let you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, change them. May we be your witnesses as you have commanded us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.